Hello, for those don't, who don't know me, I'm Annalise. Um, today we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, which can be found um, behind me or in your Bibles. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Morning, everyone. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Bracker. Really great to be with you this morning. I want to start today by telling you about Walter. You see, Walter wanted guidance. What was Walter to do? Walter was worried about his wedding. There was the question, which woman would Walter choose to wed? What about Wendy? She was wonderful. But, but so was Wilma. And, and Wilma wasn't the workaholic that Wendy was. And then, of course, there was Whitney, who was, well... <laughs> but when Walter chose which woman to wed, well... Would any of them want to wed Walter? And once he had to wait, once he'd worked that out, Walter still had to decide where would the wedding be? Could they wed in Wyala, where cousin Wesley was, or or would they go to Westlakes, where the Wilson side of the family were? And when should the wedding be? Or would it be in winter, or would they wait for a warmer weekend? But the wedding was not all Walter had to weigh up. What about his work? Would he be a web designer or a welder or a waiter or a warehouse manager or a wildlife ranger or or what about a wind farmer? After all, Walter was worried about the world and pollution, the well-being of the waterways and, well, being a wind farmer would be worthwhile. But would Walter be able to do it well? What would Walter do? All of these questions were overwhelming and, look, Walter just needed to unwind. But what was the best way to unwind? Would he whip up some white chocolate and watermelon waffles? Or would he watch some West Wing on his widescreen Westinghouse TV? Walter wanted guidance. And he was not witless, he was kind of wise. He knew the word of God was where to go and he was willing to listen to the word. He wants to. And wouldn't it be wonderful if that worked for Walter? But the word was without answer for Walter's questions about weddings and work and relaxation. 
Walter felt like weeping. What would Walter do? Perhaps you felt like Walter. Perhaps even the past few weeks have made you feel more like Walter. Because we've been doing this series at church. It's all about guidance. And you've got all these questions. And so far, none of them, not one has been answered. So far, all I've said at the front is guidance is all about God. God sets the agenda for guidance. He gives me the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit puts my eyes on Jesus as I open the words of the Bible. And so I've said the Bible is all I never, ever need for guidance. But that has just not helped you with all your questions about guidance on marriage and guidance on career and guidance on where to live and a billion other questions that the Bible just doesn't seem to answer for us. You ever felt like Walter? Well, that's where we want to go today. Today really comes in two parts. The two things we're going to see are firstly, where does the Bible guide me? If the Bible is all we need for guidance, where does it actually guide me? And then secondly, what are the different kinds of decisions I'm going to have to make? So in light of what the Bible says, what are the different kinds of decisions I'll have to make in life? So firstly then, where does the Bible guide me to? And to help us consider this, we're going to spend a bit of time going through that passage that Annalise just read out for us. It's a part of a, a letter in the Bible. It's written by a guy named Paul. He's an apostle. He's writing to a church in Ephesus. It's a uh, an ancient town. If you went there today, you'd be in modern-day Turkey. You can go and see the ruins in Ephesus. And the part of that, 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 that Bible that we just read, it, it all talks about all these spiritual blessings that God pours out on those who follow Jesus. Wonderful things like adoption and grace and forgiveness and redemption. All these wonderful things. But actually it's not just about those spiritual blessings. It's about how we get them. Did you notice there that we only get these in Christ or through Christ? It's by being connected to Jesus that we're spiritually blessed. That Jesus is actually at the center of all of this. But it's more than that. It also tells us why God does this, why God pours these blessings on us. It's for his glory. That is, the Bible guides me to glorify God. It was repeated three times in the passage we read. In verse 6, God adopts us Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, God predestines us so that we might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 14, God promises us this great salvation. And why? It's to the praise of his glory. Do you see, friends, what God is on about in the Bible? Do you see where the Bible guides you? It's it's really what we've seen again and again and again in this series. Guidance is all about God. Real guidance says... Life's not about me. It's not about my plans and my hopes and my dreams and ambitions for life. Guidance is not about my career or my marriage or my kids or my friends. Guidance is not about my enjoyment and experiences and the number of stamps I have on my passport. No. Life, the universe and everything is about God. The ultimate purpose of it all is that he gets glory and honor and praise, which when we face it, rightly could only belong to him. The Bible guides me to live for God's glory. And the Bible guides me to do good. Uh, In verse 4 it says, He, that is God, for God chose us 
in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. What does God want for me? It is to be holy and blameless. After that is what God himself is like. God is holy and blameless. He is, he is set apart. He is different from the world. He is without guilt, without shame, without accusation against him. That is what God is like. The problem is, that's not what I'm like. But God wants this for me. In fact, God is so committed for, to, to, that I be holy and blameless that he sends Jesus and Jesus secures this for me. By dying for me, Jesus brings about forgiveness. He cleanses me, washes me clean. And he, and his, de- his death radically changes the way then that God looks at me. Now when God sees me, he doesn't see all the ways that I mess up in life. Instead, he, it's like he puts Jesus' glasses on. And now he sees me through Jesus. Because of Jesus, now God sees me as holy and blameless. And so the Bible tells me, live that out. Jesus has made you holy and blameless. Now live as if you are holy and blameless. So... If you've got your Bibles, flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. It'll be on the screen if you don't. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. And look what it says. <clears throat> For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Jesus has made me holy and blameless. This is all by his grace. Like It's a gift. I've done nothing to earn it. This is, this is Jesus' grace to me. So now what? What do I do with this? Well, it goes on in verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's purpose in doing all of this is that I should do good Instead of me living for myself and for for my own pleasures, now life is about doing good. Life is about living in a way that pleases God. It's about doing the things that God wants me to do. The Bible guides me to live for God's glory. And the Bible guides me to live in a way that I do good, to please God. And the Bible also guides me by telling me about the end. You know, if you know the end point of the, the destination where you're headed, if you know that, it gives direction to your journey. You don't end up kind of wandering around just aimlessly in life, doing whatever you think might work at the time. But, but you know which way to go. The Bible gives you direction. And, and so in the Bible, God tells me then where everything is going. So look at verse 9 on the screen. Uh, For he, again, this is talking about God, for God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And what is it? What is this great mystery? It's that God is going to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The Bible is saying... The whole of the cosmos, it's going somewhere. This is not just kind of a a, a random bunch of things that are happening. We're headed somewhere to an end point, to a culmination. And what is that? It's a time when everything will be under Jesus. A time coming when everyone will see how good Jesus is. 
The world is headed to a time when everyone will see you know, precisely who Jesus is. And, and, and whether we like it or not, all of us will be under him. He will rule. And he will be seen to be the one who is ruling. And he'll be seen to be the one who it is right that he rules. And his friends, do you see where the Bible is guiding you? It's saying one day we're all going to acknowledge Jesus. Willingly or not. And if that's where everything is going, what do we do now? We, we get on board with that. We live now with Jesus having that place in our life. Jesus ruling. We live for Jesus. Because you see where the Bible guides you. It guides me. It guides us to live for God's glory. To do good. To live in ways that please God. And to live in light of the end and so honour Jesus even in the here and now. Again, friends, don't you see how true guidance really has God at the centre of everything? If that's where God is guiding me, well, then there are different kinds of decisions I have to make in this life. And to make these decisions, I'll need, I'll need to keep having my head in the Bible. But even as I read the Bible, it shows me there are different kinds of decisions I'm going to need to make in life. Here they are. There's, there's three of them. Uh, the first is matters of obedience. And these are decisions where the Bible gives me a clear command on what to do. I've got a choice to tell a truth or tell a lie. It says choose to tell the truth. Uh, let's take marriage as an example. I'm sitting there, I'm wondering, who should I marry? Well, does the Bible give me any, any, is there any matters of obedience here? And the Bible is clear. If I have a choice, marry someone who is also a Christian. Now, some of us don't have a choice, right? Some of us uh, will grow up, or maybe not some of us here, but some of us may have grown up in cultures where marriage is arranged, or around the world, marriages are arranged. Other people don't have a choice because they're already married, in which case the guidance is not to get married again, but to stay married to the person you're married to. If we have a choice, though, 1 Corinthians 7 tells me, choose someone else who's a Christian. This is a matter of obedience, right? Uh but secondly, then, there's matters of biblical wisdom and good judgment. These are matters where the Bible doesn't give me a command, but it does tell me some things that are relevant. And so I need to consider them as I make my decision. Should we go back to the marriage question again? The Bible doesn't tell me who to marry. It says marry a Christian, but after that, there's no other command. There's, there's plenty of other potential spouses then. But the Bible does give me some wisdom that I ought to heed. For example, what's the role of a husband in Ephesians 5? It's to present his wife holy and blameless. So who should I choose to marry then if I'm a, I'm a bloke? It's someone who it's easy to do that with. Someone who takes their faith seriously. Someone who's already showing signs of being a mature Christian. And, and if you're a woman, who do you choose to marry? Well, it's a bloke who's going to do this for you. Again, someone who takes their faith seriously, who's, who's already showing signs of being a mature Christian, that this is the kind of trajectory he'll take you on in life. There's no command about this. But biblical wisdom tells me this is better by far. There's matters of obedience, matters of biblical wisdom and good judgment. And then there are trivial matters. 
these are things that don't really matter. The Bible doesn't give me any commands. There's no real wisdom to follow here. There's no wisdom I need to consider. In the end, look, according to God, it's just a trivial decision. So I just need to choose and move on. When it comes to the marriage again, you think, well, at the wedding, what should we have? What should we eat for dinner? Should it be chicken or fish or, or steak? Should we go vegetarian or vegan? Well, the Bible says this is trivial. Just make it a decision and move on. It doesn't matter. The important thing here is not to get confused between these different categories. Right? Don't turn a wisdom decision into a matter of obedience. That's how we end up in legalism, where we make up all sorts of rules that the Bible doesn't actually give us. Or, or don't turn something that's an, a matter of obedience into something that's really just about wisdom. That can easily lead to sin. God's given us a clear command, but we say, oh, look, it might be wiser if you just ignored that bit of the Bible and did this instead. You can see why it's important, can't you, not to confuse these categories. But as we make these decisions, here's the thing to remember, friends. Be prayerful. Be prayerful. Pray. Pray with thankfulness because really thankfulness is the mark of the Christian prayer. Even in those midst of the times when you're feeling torn and you don't know which decision to make, there is still so much to be thankful for. Friends, pray with thankfulness and pray with humility because we need to remember we don't know everything. We do make mistakes. We will make mistakes. So we pray. And as we pray, friends, keep remembering that God is sovereign. Right? He's in control, which means we don't end up on this God's second best or third best or 800th best plan for our lives. You know, even in those times where I do do something stupid, I make a boneheaded decision, God is still sovereign then. And he will use my boneheaded decision to grow me and to teach me and to discipline me and to make me more and more like Jesus. Be prayerful as you make these decisions, friends. Now, look, all this kind of stuff, it can look nice and neat on a piece of paper, right? But how does it work out in the real world? So I thought, to finish off then, let's take a, a, a real-world example and to work it through together. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask, what guidance does the Bible give me on retirement? Yeah, why have I chosen retirement? Well, it's not because I think we've got a bunch of retirees here who are just doing completely the wrong thing and I'm taking this opportunity to tell them which way to go. No. Um, in fact, I think we have some f fantastic examples of retirees who are, who are uh, doing retirement really well. <clears throat> but I chose to do this because at some stage in life, this is going to be a question that we all have to answer. Uh, we're going to face questions like when to retire and how much do I need to retire and what will I do with my time when I do retire? So we're going to delve into this. Now, before we do that, though, uh, I want to just survey a, a, a quick, a few, really quickly, a few attitudes that the world has to retirement. Uh, for example, the world asks things like, when should I retire? And some answer that and say, look, as soon as possible. So I just want to forget about work, put my feet up and enjoy myself finally. Others think, retire? Never. I'm trying to hold out as long as I can here because who am I if I'm not the doctor or who am I if I'm not the dentist as if pulling teeth gives you meaning in life? Perhaps if you're a sadist, it does. 
the world also asks different questions. How much do I need to retire? How big can I grow my bank balance before I got to finally quit and fall over the line at work? Because I want this lifestyle when I retire, so I need to have this amount of money that's going to be ferreted away so I can do that. The world asks, what will I do when I retire? I mean, I can't sit around all day, but I don't know what I'm going to do to fill up my time. In fact, uh, I remember going home a few years ago and I was at the shops and I ran into the deputy principal of my high school and um, he was really nervous. He was anxious because he was about to retire and he didn't know what he was going to do. Now, he knew my dad had retired a bit before this and so he asked me, what does your dad do with his time? How does he keep active? You know, what's he spend his time doing all the time? These are, these are the kind of questions, these are the attitudes that our, our, our world asks about retirement. But how does the Bible talk about retirement? Well, the Bible talks a lot about work. The Bible says work is right and normal. God, God is at work. God is at work even still today. And in, in his word, he tells us to, to be workers as well. But you know, there's not much talk of retirement. Uh, in Numbers chapter 8, it says the Levites, the, 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 the clan of, of Israel that serve at the temple, they're, they're to stop serving in the temple or the tabernacle once they reach 50. Sounds not too bad, right? But even then, they actually, they still minister. They just do it by guarding the outside of the temple. This may be the only time that the Bible talks directly about retirement. But actually, the Bible does have heaps more to say about retirement than that. And here's the big thing that it says. It says... You never really retire. If you're a follower of Jesus, you never really retire from your first job. Because your first job, the most important job you have, is not the one that you rock up to on a Monday. That's not your real calling in life. Your real calling is to live for Jesus. That's what we saw earlier in Ephesians. Like, what does the Bible guide us to? It's to live for God's glory. It's to do what pleases him. It's to honor Jesus because that's where the whole world is going. Your calling is not to be a web designer or a welder or a wind farmer. Being a wildlife ranger is only ever your second job. Belonging to Jesus, living for Jesus, that is your calling, friends. That is your first job. If you're a follower of Jesus, you only ever retire from your second job. We always keep working in our first job. That's really the big thing that the Bible has to say about retirement. So with that in mind, then let's go back to those three categories, the different kinds of decisions that we need to make. And we'll spend a bit of time asking, what does this tell us about retirement? How does this help us give us guidance on retirement? So the first one is matters of obedience, right? How do, we, how do I be obedient to God in the way I do retirement? Well, let's ask that question. What do I do with my retirement? Again, many people think retirement's when I finally get to do what I want to do. Others who think, oh, I'm going to go crazy with all this time on my hands. But if we follow Jesus, we know what to do, don't we? We keep doing our first job. We keep living for Jesus. In fact, maybe now when I'm retired, I might have a little bit more free time that I can do that with. I can do my first job maybe more than ever before. And so the kind of questions we ask are not what do I do, uh, as if I have no idea and direction at all. But we ask questions like, well, what ministry can I sink my teeth into now? 
How can I be a blessing with this time on my hand so that I can be a blessing to my neighbors around me? How can I use this time to grow deeper and deeper in my faith in God? Those are the kind of questions that we ask as a matter of obedience. Our first job is something we do not retire from. But as we're asking these kind of questions, we will come up with different answers because we need uh, a biblical wisdom and good judgment to figure out what they mean for us. So, if, for example, we might be sitting down and thinking, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to uh, keep my first job and work hard, and I really want to see this next generation raised up to follow Jesus, and I've still got some energy left in me, so what am I going to do? Well, I, I'm going to give kids' ministry a crack. I've not done it before. I'm going to try to sink my teeth into that for, for a year and give it a go. And then maybe after you, I realized, look, I just don't have that energy anymore to keep up with the kids, but I still want to see this next generation raised up to follow Jesus, so I'm going to invest in their parents. I'm going to be intentional about it. I'm going to get to know them, encourage them, help them out where I can. And where the time is right, I'll give them a bit of advice to keep them going on the way of raising their kids up to follow Jesus. Maybe you think something completely different. Maybe you think, I've just got so much free time on my hands now. And I know there's, there's others around me who are retired as well. They've got free time too. I see them all the time just doing not very much. And so I'm going to make an effort to get to know them. I'm going to go to their house and say day. I'll meet them, visit them. I'll have them over to my house. We'll find out what our common interests are. Maybe we'll play cards together or whatnot and we'll be friends. And when the time is right, I'm going to talk with them about Jesus too. Look, maybe you're at the point where you feel like, I, 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 in my retirement, I just can't do that much anymore. I, I, I'm, I, my energy's gone. I'm not as mobile as I used to be. I can't get out very much anymore. There's not much I can do. So what am I going to do? I'm going to devote myself to praying. That three, four, five times a week, I just take an hour out of my day and I pray. I spend that hour praying, devoted to God in prayer, praying for my family and my neighbors, for the missionaries our church is supporting, for, for the ministries our church is in. I'm praying for the kids' ministry that I'd love to be part of, but I just can't be anymore. I'm praying for the people I know. I'm praying, praying, praying deeply. How you decide which of those options you might take, it requires biblical wisdom and good judgment. But then there are trivial matters. A lot of our peers might ask, when should I retire? What's the right age? You know, in a sense, in, in many senses, that's actually a pretty trivial decision. I mean, there's part of this decision that needs some biblical wisdom and good judgment on. Like we don't want to put undue financial pressure on our family by retiring super early. You still want to be able to be generous with your money even when you're retired. But another level, look, who really cares if you retire at 45 or 75? If God thought this was something that was super important, he would have written it down in his word. You must retire by 61 and don't go any longer. God doesn't do that. Look, if you can retire at 45, great. Why not? At least then you'll have a bit more time to invest in your first job anyway. You see, the important question here is not, when do I retire? The important question here is, what do I do when I do retire? How do I use my retirement to keep plowing ahead in my first job of living for Jesus? And can I say again, friends, I think we have some great examples of people doing retirement well 
right here in our own church. I'm not going to embarrass them by pointing to them now, but we've got people who are using their retirement to lead ministries and, 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 and ministry teams at our church. People who are investing deeply in the lives of others to be a mentor for them. People who are volunteering in schools and community groups to make good connections and just to do good and to please God with their lives in the world. Because they've got it, right? Retirement isn't about living for me. It's about doing my first job. It's about living for Jesus, which really is the first job for all of us. That is guidance, that we live for Jesus.